Welcome back to Dad Conversations, where we spotlight successful, interesting, and normal people who happen to be dads. Paul Stewart was my guest on the show today. He was a professional baseball player who entered technology sales. He's probably the most popular person in a local department of 300 or more salespeople. He's just a good human being. We talk about his career in baseball, his approach as a former pro athlete coaching his own children, and of course, his sometimes awkward, sometimes hilarious inside jokes from the TV show The Office. Enjoy. Paul, thanks for joining, man. Nice John. Great to have you. Good, great to be on here, man. Thanks for having me. Hey, of course. Um, Paul, you were a professional pitcher. I was watching last night. ESPN had some kind of a, uh, you know, there was a little kerfuffle about uh, two teams going at it because of, I saw uh, that. Jo- yeah, pitching. Joe Kelly threw behind somebody. Yeah, yeah. Is that pretty bad to throw behind somebody? It's it probably shouldn't happen. So, like, I, I coached my son's little league game last night, and it happens pretty regularly there. But when you're a paid professional player, I, I, I can't imagine it happening very often at all. But occasionally it does. That one, So that one goes back to the old Astros uh, recording signs, relaying messages. So <clears throat> there's there's a little more behind that one than, than what really happened. I think that's okay. more than meets the eye. So, but so that, I, I can remember. So I can remember two instances in my career when when I intentionally, well, I was trying to hit guys, but threw behind them. And so the the first, so yeah, 1998, we're playing. Uh, I'm in Boyd, Wisconsin. We're playing um, uh, Appleton, the Timber Rattlers, the Mariners team. Actually, we were in Kane County. Sorry, it was. Uh, King, it was the Marlins team, and I was I was pitching terrible. Like I'd given up a, ha- a handful of runs already in the first couple of innings, and uh, my my mom or not my dad, my dad, my brother, and my girlfriend, who's my wife now, came to visit us, um, or came to watch me pitch. And I was I was I was stinking up the house like I was awful. So I was like, man, I'm gonna get, try to throw down this game so I don't look any worse. So I threw I threw at the guy trying to hit him. I threw behind him and I missed him. I'm like, oh my gosh. This is terrible. And so the umpire doesn't say anything. Usually they'll warn you, but their dugout starts to chirp a little bit. And then I'm like, all right, well, I missed him one time. I'll try to hit him again. I threw at him, missed him again, threw behind him. And I'm like, oh, this is – and at this point, the dugout, the other team clearly knows what I'm trying to do. <laughs> but the umpire still didn't say anything. So I end up walking that guy. And then the next guy hits a home run. And I'm like, oh, dude. And so I ended up saying – I think – I ended up staying in like seven innings that game, giving up like eleven runs, just something ridiculous. Oof. But so that Man. and then so that's, the, so that's the equivalent of like calling in sick when you're playing baseball. <laughs> so trying to, yeah. I, was like, I was trying to get kicked out of the game because I had seen one of my guys the, the week before did that. But then, um, so my last year playing was 2005. I was in Double A, and we were playing uh, the Tigers team. And so Justin Verlander was starting on the other side. So he's over there throwing just absolute gas. 
and I'm yeah, I'm throwing eighty eight, ninety, which is like an average speed for you know, professional that was at the time. And so Verlander hits one of our guys and everybody's like, That was intentional, he did that. I'm like and so the pitching coach come over and just kinda of gives me a nod and I'm like and I I don't like hitting guys, like I just I just don't like doing it, but you know you have to do it sometimes, right? To protect your team, you know, show you have their back. So like, all right. So I got the first guy out. The second guy was the one I was supposed to hit. And the second guy's just just massive individual. And I'm like, this guy's gonna and I'm like, I'm six six, right? Two twenty five at the time, but he's just I'm looking at him like he's he would kill me. So Wow. First it's like, all right, here we go, big guy. So I, I throw again, I throw behind him. I'm like I missed them. And then, but the other team knew what was going on, so they're just yelling at me the whole time. They're going crazy. And their hitting coach was Pete Cavilia, who was um, a, an amazing college player, a really, really good big league player. And so Pete Cavilia is just big, giant fellow. He gets, and everything kind of dies down, and I hear him go, I'll rip your arms off, and I'll beat you with them. <laughs> and I was like, oh, God. <laughs> That's crazy. And so then I'm like, all right, well, I won't do that again. So then I ended up, I ended up grounding out the second, the next one, but I think the message got across. And But I, it was a cool game, though, because I got to pitch against Justin Verlander, who's been one of the greatest pitchers of the past, you know, 15 years. And um, you could even tell that, yeah, in double A when he was, you know, 21, 22, that he was going to be a really, really good big league player. So that was cool. But yeah, those, wow. are, those are my two, two, I'm sure I probably did it when I was little, but. Yeah. yeah, those are the two that really stand out for me. So when a ball goes behind a batter, it's typically an—I mean, either an errant throw or or does throwing behind someone on its own have its own like signal where you're kind of flexing on them, like, "Hey, just, yeah, you're, just, you're sending a message." Okay. Yeah, sending, so so baseball, you know, kind of the unwritten rules, the etiquette is if you're going to hit a guy, it's. You want to hit him in the in the midsection somewhere. You, you definitely don't want to throw it at somebody's head because that's you know, potentially career ending or you know you know life altering. Like you hit somebody in the head. Um, so typically, you when I threw it, somebody I was aiming for their their butt or their thighs, things like that, just to make sure. Um, yeah, you, you don't want to take somebody's career out or or really hurt them. Yeah, I, I hit a few guys in my career unintentionally. Where the ball just rode in and hit him on hit him on the hand and they you know fractured a hand or something like that. Oh, that's um, I un, unintentionally actually hit hit one of my teammates in the head one time when he was <sighs> before a game. Yeah, that was I felt so terrible about. I mean that just he he was standing in before a game. A lot of times guys will stand in and watch the pitch your you know your own teammate warm up so they can just kind of track a ball and make sure they're uh, you know just seeing it. And so we. This was my first start of 1999. We were in uh, San Bernardino, California, and what, it was one of my roommates. He actually we lived Jared Mathis. So he's standing in, and I was trying to run a two seamer kind of under his hands, and it just got away. It hit him square in the head. He wasn't wearing a helmet. Oh! And he went down. Yeah, dude. So he went down real hard. You know, training staff was out there. Yeah, you know, had a concussion. The whole thing. So that was the last night of our trip. So we were in Southern California. We had to drive all the way to um, Stockton, which is where we were playing that. So Northern California. And so he's on the back of the bus. We're going through the mountains and hills of California. And I just hear him going, like throwing up on the back. And I was like, oh, God, that's 
because he had a concussion and uh, uh, so yeah, I can imagine. Yeah, I mean, shoot, people get knocked Thriller out in, in boxing or MMA or whatever. And it's like, yeah, you, I can't you imagine. The, there's you, there uh, aren't you do the fighting, you know. There, I can't. Well, I don't do fighting. But, uh, I mean, well, I I roll a little bit jujitsu, but I can't imagine <laughs> there's a punch equivalent to a a baseball thrown by a grown man. You know what I mean? It's yeah, that I mean, we. I was actually watching some of uh, Tyson's sparring because he's making his comeback, and yeah, maybe I see Tyson. him at but maybe I see him at fifty three, fifty four years old. I'm like, dude, I I would not want to stand in the way of one of those yeah or hooks or whatever. I mean, I, that that might be the only equivalent I can think of a Mike Tyson uppercut or something. But yeah, Mike Tyson. Yeah. That's true. I, I, that's a a um. Dangerous man. I saw some clickbaity headline that I skimmed over and didn't look at, but it was like, um, could Mike Tyson beat Conor McGregor? And I'm like, Conor McGregor is a dangerous man, but he's five feet nine. And and it was in a boxing match. That was the rules. Um, he's five feet nine. And he's like 100 and, you know, between 160, 170 pounds after he gets done weighing in. Yeah. And um, Mike Tyson's 53. But he's a dangerous fifty-three-year-old that I I, I oh can't God. imagine a boxing. I mean, if it was if it was MMA, maybe Connor could like uh, grab, go for his ankle and do a heel hook or something. You know, down, maybe yeah. submission, maybe choke him. But boxing, dude, I no way, yeah, no way. Tyson's a he's, he's still so fast and just strong, and he could get that old man strength now too, right? Yeah, yeah. He's just so solid. I yeah, I, I couldn't imagine. Are you watching when he fights um, the? Uh, is it Roy Jones Jr.? I, I, probably. Not. Well, I'm sure we'll have a softball tournament or a, a baseball game or a soccer game. Yeah, yeah. We'll we'll probably have something going on that weekend. But I'll certainly be tuned in and very interested to see how it goes. That's something I want to ask you about. Actually, is is um, being a parent of multiple kids who are in sports and in big time sports because that's a field I don't even want to get into with knowing what your travel <laughs> schedule looks like. But but um yeah. definitely we're gonna hit on that. So um okay so wrapping up baseball last question then on this uh what we've been talking about with pitchers getting yeah. uh hitting batters. What percentage of the time you mentioned sometimes when you're when you're throwing and it was just a bad throw. I mean, that, that happened, right? Even NBA players yeah, just, yeah. just uh, air ball sometimes. It just happens. But yeah, you miss shots. You miss, yeah, what, yeah. what percentage of when, when a baseball, a prof- at the professional level, when a hitter, uh, yeah, the batter gets hit, what percentage of the time was that intentional in your estimation? It's, it's, it's very low. It, it's really low. I mean, a lot of times when you're pitching, you, know, you have both sides of the plate. You have to establish – that you're not just going to throw to one side, so you have to work the work the ball in. And a lot of hitters like to get up on the plate and crowd it, and and they're trying to show that hey, I own this plate too. So I think a lot of times it's more guys are just trying to throw in, and, and they miss a little bit, right? You know, the matter of missing is you know eight to twelve inches, and you hit somebody, right? So I think a lot of them are more of those grazing kind of blows, or you know, they hit you like that. Um, when when a guy gets hit on purpose, it's usually you have a pretty good idea of it or you can tell just based on what's happening with the game. And a lot of times it's, it's protecting 
you know, one of your guys might have taken a, a slide from a, the opposing player. The shortstop might have got hit real hard on that. So you're like, hey, yeah, you're not going to hit my shortstop like that. So you, you throw in on them or you hit them, let them know, send that message. Um, there's not as much of that. Yeah, I, I was a pretty big baseball historian. And I think, like, way back you know, in the 50s, 60s, there was a lot more of, like, really throwing at guys. I don't think there's as much of it anymore because of, Everything's televised. You can see what's happened, what's led up to it. It's not just somebody telling you the story. And then a lot of it is just you know, more fines and things like that. Now, I mean, obviously the guys can afford it, but you, know, you get fines, you know, $50,000. That's still $50,000. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there, there's more to consider. Like when in, in the minor leagues, when we got, uh, if we got you know, fined for leaving the bench for, it was $50. But when you're making, when you're making $1,100 a month, Fifty dollars means a lot. <laughs> so um, there's that side, but I'd say intentionally, it's it's probably a pretty low percentage. But when it does happen, it's the headline on you know Sports Center. It's clickbait. It's it's just clear. Yeah, but typically yeah, yeah. it's clear. It's just it's a lot of jaw and it's a lot of guys talking. I mean, rarely do you know guys actually start throwing blows. So, but when yeah. that happens, then it's yeah, then it's even bigger news, right? So. Right, right. Um, yeah, I was in a, I was in a few of those, and they're, they're not fun. I mean, it's, I mean, you're you're out there, you know, kind of with your teammates, and your head's on a swivel because you never know who's, who's coming from where. You might have a teammate that doesn't like you, and they might come come after you and crack you in the back of the head. Hey, whoa, sorry. <laughs> really? friendly, friendly fire, friendly fire. Yeah, they play it uh, off. <laughs> yes, oh god, I didn't know that was you, Paul. Sorry. But it's uh, yeah, it's, it's a low percentage. But those things are, but it you know, like like people yeah. get excited. It's the old it's the old Roman Coliseum, right? The the fans get excited, they get worked up, and it creates a little more of that rivalry, that intensity between uh, those teams. Yeah, it seems like when when watching pro baseball, and I don't follow the sport closely, but the pitchers never seem remorseful. Like they always have that look where it kind of looked intentional. Like they're never like, "Hey, sorry, man." Like I, you know, trying to motion yeah. to them, like didn't mean it. Not trying to start any beef and get your team to hit one of my guys. It's like, hey, Sean, hey, can we take a pause? My my sons are here throwing up right now. So yeah, yeah, we're gonna take a pause. Hold on. Okay, team, at this point in the interview, we paused for about 10 minutes as Paul took care of his son and cleaned up a little bit. I was about to edit this out, and then Paul and I laughed and said it made sense to leave it in because this is totally real dad life. Thankfully, Paul's son got some rest and seemed okay. Now, if you were hoping to hear the answer to my rambling question about non-remorseful pitchers, unfortunately, you'll have to wait. We both lost track of that question and picked up on another topic. All right, let's get back to it. Anyway, so all right, we wrapped up baseball. All right, what's next? What's next, Sean? So, Paul, tell me a little about your origin story. I know you grew up in Garner. What was what was little Paul like? What were your interests? What kind of kid were you? And uh, what sports did you play? All that. Yeah, so um, I was actually born in Alexandria, Virginia, so just outside of DC. Uh, we moved to Garner when I was ten, uh, but growing up, 
I remember you know, loving to go watch my dad play old man softball. Um, my uncle was a huge baseball fan, so um, and, and we were big, uh, well, the Washington football team fans, um, you know, growing up because we were right there. Uh, I remember, like, fourth grade, the the I'm calling, the Redskins were in the Super Bowl. Yeah. Um, in '87, and, and I remember fourth grade they taught us to sing like "Hail to the Redskins," like their fight song. <laughs> and I thought, like, hey, every every fourth grader learns that, right? It's, but you know, it was very specific. So I grew up just just loving sports, and then um, you know, played a couple of years of pop corner football. Um, you know, played baseball. Yeah, I got to be really tall, so I started. Playing. I, I didn't really like basketball that much. So I started, but I got tall, so I started playing basketball. Um, and just yeah, a ton, a ton of wiffle ball in the backyard, a ton of front yard basketball, you know, driveway basketball. Just if it, if it was a, a ball and it was a competition, like I wanted to be a part of it. So that was, and we I grew up in a neighborhood. So when we moved to Garner, um, there was a lot of kids around my age, and I've got a little brother who's two years younger, around his age. So we always had these massive, like in our yard was kind of like the mecca for for wiffle ball and basketball. So we always had kids running in and out of the house. Um, and that we, we were very fortunate during the summers, especially where, you know, my mom didn't have to work. So she was at home and she was kind of like the, you know, kind of managed the flock a little bit, but that's, that was you know, me and my little brother growing up all the time. And just, I remember just epic battles of, you know, wiffle ball and basketball. And, and then when it rained, we'd come in and play, you know, baseball stars or RBI baseball or, you know, something like that. And, or tech mobile. Uh, we weren't, we weren't quite to Madden yet, but playing those games and just, and, and that was it, man. That was, that was what we, that was what we did. And, and that's why I think a, a lot of where I became better, what were those games in the backyard? Just, you're kind of messing around, but you're like, Oh, like I can, I can probably advance that an extra base or I can, I can do these little things because you played around with it in the backyard. So you're like, oh, okay, well, trying a real game. So, and that's what happened. So it's, but that was that was kind of a growing up. So it was, it was a good time. That's cool. So one thing I'm sure you noticed this. Uh, one thing about living in in the Raleigh, North Carolina area, you have a lot of transplants from all over. Rarely do you meet somebody yeah. who grew up in in this area. But I feel like I know six or seven people who grew up in garner and are like super proud of it like love garner oh yeah all of them are like heavy heavy into sports and like proud of other people who are from garner and have gone into the pros and like and just i don't know what is it about what's what is it about garner man what's in the water over there well uh i don't know it's sulfur maybe but it's no so so you look at it, and it is. It's so. It's um, yeah. It's kind of a little little hidden gym. You know, thirty thousand ish people just south of Raleigh. Um, but but you can look back and so you know Donna Williams, the nineteen ninety two or uh, sorry ninety three Final Four MVP for Carolina, came from Garner, all time leading scorer at Garner, amazing high school athlete. Um, you know more more recently, uh, Naheem Hines from Garner, running back with the Colts now. Um, but then there's Chris Culliver, who was with the, the 49ers, and the you know Pat Watkins, the first round pick, who out of uh, Garner High School went to ECU, also a, a fellow Cisco employee as well. Um, 
but there's a lot. But then, you know, probably the biggest of all, like Scotty McCreary, right, won season 11 of American Idol, and that was uh, – you want to talk about, like, hometown pride? That was that was one of the really cool moments that we could experience as a family. Um, I remember that night. So they rented out um, – the, our, whatever they're calling it now, where NC State plays basketball and the Hurricanes play hockey. And so they rented that out. And pretty much the whole lower bowl was filled with town of Garner people, right? And so they announced he won and like we celebrated and, you know, the whole thing. But then the drive home, like, the, so Joshua was um, in Meredith's stomach. So the kids were, you know, on the younger side, right? And then yeah. But I remember driving home and people were blowing their horns, just like everybody's waving. There were people like literally like on the side of the streets, just pumping their arms, waving at each other. <clears throat> like it was, it was like the hometown pride yeah. of that moment was, it was indescribable. It was just so cool to have that and share that with other people who came together to, you know, around this one kid who is a great country singer. I mean, he's, he's amazing. Like I, I love all of his albums and still listen to him as much as I can. And, um, but I, I don't know, man. It's one of those things where people do. You get here and you get involved, and you play, you know, Garner baseball, Garner little league. You play, you know, Pop Warner. You, you know, the school systems are all pretty tight knit, and um, and it's you know, your grandparents live here. You went to church with them. You, you know, you do yeah. all these things with them. you. Get to, the, you know, the the YMCA here, and it just becomes a tight knit community where people come and they establish roots, and they and they just love it. So it's and then you. And you started kind of learning the history. Like, okay, yeah, I can get it with this, and it's just yeah, you know, just good people. So that's cool. I remember. I don't know. I don't remember if it was 2010 or 2011, but I was in either case. I was knocking doors, uh, selling pest control uh, residential service contracts, going door to door, and I happened to be in Garner the day after. Scotty McCreary won American Idol. Oh yeah. And I can't tell you yeah, how many people did. would like as soon as I'd be, you know, pause or get to a point where I'd ask them a question or or uh try to close them, they'd be like, Now by the way, did you did you see Scotty last night? You know, just like <laughs> just spontaneously uh coming up and so proud. And I was like, Man, this is a cool little community culture. <laughs> um that I, I really admired that. Yeah, and I say a lot of it too. A lot of it too does, like you mentioned, it, it does tie to athletics. Um, you know, the, my so my brother-in-law was the quarterback of the '87 state champion team. People still talk about like 1987 state champion team like it was yesterday. And wow. Like for us, it doesn't sound. I, I was born in '78, so it doesn't sound like it was that long. But dude, that was that was getting to be a long time ago now. Like dude, I was I was born in '86. Kids who graduated high school, yeah, kids who graduated high school, kids are fully, yeah, not even kids, like they're full grown adults and uh, but he was a quarterback of that team and and people still talk about that but there's a lot of it doesn't work. so the football team has made the playoffs every year since I think 85 um, but it ties around around those sports those athletics people you know, engaging in that and um, just just loving it and and it's a it's a still a town where whether you have a kid on the team you had a kid on the team you've got you know, kids in school now who aren't on the team, but the community still goes out and supports it. And it's, you know, hopefully we'll be able to do that again that fall, this fall, depending on, you know, kind of what happens. So, but yeah, we, we love it here. Nice. 
Well, uh, before we get into your career and uh, some of the amazing things you've done, tell me a little about your father figures growing up. Um, you know, tell me about your dad. Any, if you have a favorite story or a moment or, that you went through with him that you think people would like to hear about, um, and then maybe one thing that your dad like really nailed as a father. Yeah. So, um, so my dad, Mark, Mark Stewart. Uh, dad or pops growing now now he's uh you know grandfather of my four we call him, he's he's known as just poppy now um uh so i always call him poppy now but he uh <laughs> he he was great man he the one thing i can say I, I i can't i was thinking through that question i don't i can't pinpoint one like specific you know obviously there's times when you know we had a lot of fun but i think it was more just he was he was there for us right like uh, the job he took when we moved here to North Carolina, he got off work every day at four o'clock so that he could coach our little league teams so that he could come out and, and we didn't call it practice, but looking back, it was, it was practice. He just went out and played with us, right? He shoot basketball around or played wiffle ball, whatever it was. Um, but he was always there. He was there for us in a, in a very positive way. Um, I can't remember him ever, you think, well, Paul, you you really stunk that game. He never he never put me down. He was always encouraging. He was always positive. Um, it, he was yeah, on the on I'll say on the more quiet side when that came up, but um, but always had something good to say. Always good you know good advice to share. Um, but th- those are the things that really stick out to me. It wasn't it wasn't that he sat me down and had this like you know man to man talk. It was just those things happen over time. Um, one of the big things I remember or I've thought about more, more recently, and I've heard people say is you can't have quality time without quantity time, right? You can't just sit down with your family and say, you know, guys, we're going to have some quality time this next half hour. Like, no, it happens over. You, know, you think about vacations you go on, like you go for five days. There's, there's some times and it's not quality. You're just like, I want to get out of here. This, yeah, for sure. These are driving <laughs> me nuts, right? Yeah. Uh, but, there, but during that time, you're going to have some time, but it's really, really great. And, and those are the things that I remember from him and think back on. So uh, I like that. Because I've never thought about that. But when you think about it, like if you, if you try it, when you have young kids, if you try to orchestrate, all right, this next 30 minutes is going to be quality time. It's going to be great. Yeah. Like sure enough, the kids are just going to go nuts and, and uh, in a bad way. And someone's going to, you know, I don't know, just, a million different no, things could right. happen, and it's you try to yeah. orchestrate a moment, it's going to fall apart. It's better to just like let the moments happen while you're doing something fun yeah, together. Exactly, and be in the moment, especially now, right? As a as a father, I, I try to be very intentional about making sure the screen's on my face, and uh, yeah, obviously I'm, I'm trying to take pictures occasionally, but um, just be with them, sit there with them, do do the things with them, just know that they're important and that they have your attention. Um, Yes, and so my yeah, my dad was he, he was really great, and I still it's always encouraging too. Like I'll see kids from my childhood who he coached on a little league team, and or you know he had some impact. I'm like, how's your how's your mom and dad doing? Like, say they still ask about him, you know, thirty years later. Uh, so it's that kind of thing for me is really cool that he created kind of that legacy where he he impacted those kids in a positive way. Um, so that, that's that's really encouraging for me, but that that's 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 always a lot of fun to hear people still thinking about old Poppy. That's awesome. 
we have we have a popsicle request from the two year old. For, for the <laughs> for the listening audience, for the listening audience, my my wife and two older daughters went to uh, get their hair hair did, um, and so they left me here with uh, the eight year old and the two year old. So that's what that's what's going on at the moment. So I'm getting yeah throw up and request for freezy pops and all that sort of stuff. That's lots of fun. Good times. Good times. Yeah, so I think that's yeah, and so so other um other father figures. Um there you know, a handful of coaches growing up, you know, you had positive impacts. Um I started playing sports pretty early, five, six years old, so I always looked up to the coaches as not necessarily father figures, but you know, role models who Yeah, 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 yeah. Were positive. What any um, on that note, as someone who played a ton of sports and for quite a duration, what are your thoughts on on coaching and being a you know like which coach do you remember the like the the coaches that were tough as nails and demanded the most out of you and like you like those guys <laughs> looking back and you're glad they put you through it or you like the ones who are like good job little Polly way to go you know whatever you do <laughs> way to go you know which ones what well, are your thoughts on that yeah so. As as a little guy, I was um, yeah always a little bigger, a little more athletic than most. So I think the coaches really like having me on their team because I was I was going to perform well for them. Um, as I got a, a little older, I remember when I was nine, I was playing with like eleven and twelve year olds, and we had a coach named uh, Ted Woodyak, and my parents referred to him as Crazy Ted. I don't know if the other parents did or if that was just them, but he was. He you made me spit and out my water, dude. Yeah, I think his his kids also played soccer, so he had a very soccer kind of training. But he was very disciplined, very regimented. And I remember as a nine-year-old, like we ran a lot, we worked hard. But the the little Hayfield Exos went fifteen and one that year, and you know, killed everybody. But he was. I remember him as a, that was the first time I remember having like a. And the one that stands out to me there was I was playing second base. And we were practicing our little field. And the field was just a beat-up old elementary school field. And a ball, it took a bad hop, and it hit me in the lip. And I stood there, and I was like, ah, you know, I kind of held my mouth, and yeah. it hurt. And meanwhile, you know, meanwhile, the ball is you know, two, three feet away from me. And I remember at practice, him yelling, get the ball and throw him out, then hold your lip. And I was like, oh, dang. So I went and picked up the ball, and I was like, it, but that taught me, like, hey, finish, finish the play, unless you can't move, right? But finish the play and then worry about what's going on. But I'm like that had a, like I still remember it now. You know, thirty years later. Um, so he was, um, and then the other coach who really had a big impact on me was uh, so tenth grade I played JV basketball, uh, and Coach John Baker who he was our JV coach at Garner. He went on to coach um, the varsity team at Southeast Raleigh for several years. Um, but he was he was tough as nails, man. Like he he had us doing some tough drills all, all throughout practices. We were, we were working hard, just the, you know, those drills when you're like almost like ready to fight you. I mean, a couple of times like guys started punching each other, like they were fighting each other, like just tough drills, like rebounding drills, getting in there with like 10, 12 guys in the paint, like fight for like, wow. and at the beginning of the season, like, man, this, this sucks. This is what I, you know, I, I didn't, I didn't question it. I was like, there's gotta be. And I think we, we started the year like two and two. It's like, man, this, oh, this isn't worth it. Like, but then I think we, we went on a run and ended up 
17 and three on the season, won the conference, only lost one conference game. Yeah, J- wow. JV. So nobody really cares too much about JV basketball. But um, but looking back, and and as the season progressed, he lightened up a little bit. But he initially he had to set the tone for, hey, this is who we are. This is what we're going to be. We're going to be tough. And we had, uh, t- I remember we had T-shirts made for like all ones, and it said attitude on the back. His thing was like, what's your attitude going to be? Like, is your attitude going to positively affect us? Are we going to be a strong team? Like, are we going to be disciplined? Are we going to be tough? Or is our attitude going to be poor? Are we going to, you know, give up in, in diverse in times of trial or diversity? Or are we going to let the other team beat us, like, because of our attitude? So, yeah, I remember him in 10th grade just – and that, that – he really stuck with me a long time because of because of that toughness. And um, so I, I – and then once once you get to, you know, Pro ball, the coaches are more. They're managed, It's more managing people because once you get to a certain level, like you're not going to change their mechanics or you know the way they do things to to a certain extent. Like there might be small things, but um, had some had some really good coaches in pro ball and really really enjoyed and, and like those guys. And you can see some of them who who were yellers and screamers. I could never. Most of those guys, though, they're they're yellers and screamers all the time. So if you yell and scream all the time, that's just, that's just your tone, right? So you got yeah. you got nowhere to go from there, right? So I I I always appreciated the guys more who who would talk just like this, right? And then if they needed to get a point point across, then they raised their voice and they're like, oh, okay, well, Sean's really upset now because he's raising his voice. <laughs> yeah. But if your voice is always raised, who cares? It's it's the same thing. So. Um, that, and that's how I try to do it with, uh, you know, when I'm coaching my son's little league team or the girls travel softball, it's like, if you, you know, if you're, you know, kind of level the whole time, then that's, that's what it is. Then if you need to get their attention, if you just raise your voice a little bit, like, whoa, whoa, cause Paul's upset. Like what, what happened? Right. So, yeah. um, that's kind of the approach I take to it. But, and just learn that throughout the years. I was having you know, a lot of different coaches and seeing a lot of different styles. That's, but I, I, I never played like I never played football like at a high level. Like we've been on those Clemson trips, and I see those guys. Yeah, I'm like, I don't know if I can handle that. Those guys are intense. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, it's I like how you said the the yelling and how that's that can't be something you do all the time because we have uh, some friends who the mom tends to raise her voice um, regularly. Uh, Dad never says anything, which uh, and neither case is good, I don't think. But uh, their yeah. their you know their kid is like running in the front yard, running full speed like towards the road. You know, it's not a small road. Oof. And and the the mom's like, hey, 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 stop, 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 stop. But but it's like that sounds like you're at the dinner table and and setting down you know a utensil or something. You know, it's like to the kid, he yeah. doesn't recognize any different because the, there's all that yelling. Yeah. You know, so. And the same thing happens in coaching where you just tune it out after a while. If someone is going to be, yeah, if they keep the intensity dialed up to 11, you just muff. Yeah. Them. <laughs> Don't listen. Anyway. It's, yeah. It's coming up. And, and the other thing too, especially with like your rec league players, um, a, a lot of them, they're out there for fun, right? They're learning the game. So certainly like, like yelling at them is not going to encourage them to come back another season. Like when I'm coaching one of those teams, my goal is that all 10, 12 boys, girls, whatever it is, 
comebacks and plays another season with that same with rec ball, or mm-hmm. they they're so encouraged that they want to try to play a travel season or something like that. But, but I'm I'm trying to instill in them um, a love for the game, a joy for the game, and not just playing the game, but being around teammates, right? Sitting in the dugout, sitting on the bench, just because those are, those are the times that I think kids really bond with each other, and even as as a a coach, right? Like I think some really good friends just having fun assistant coaches, right? Just hanging out on the on the bench on the sideline, talking about the game, talking through strategy, and just learning more about them. So those are the things. And there's so, there's so many life skills you can learn from playing sports that I think translate to careers. Um, yeah, that it's it's really interesting. And so that's that's what my goal is a lot of times. So like you said, like you're saying before, you. you oftentimes start up with the plan and structure and sometimes you're in a practice or in a game you're like this isn't working so you kind of deviate based on kids strength kids interest things like that while still trying to maintain some sort of form of what the sport actually is yeah yeah it's um i've i've seen over the last few years become so clear how helpful sports uh can be for your career development when you look at just how many of like the top performers had a background in a high level sports of some kind, whether it was college or pro yeah. um, something about that, that generally uh, is correlated at least with, with doing well in your job. So tell me on that, tell me about your career. You, um, you know, you played sports, you played basketball, uh, played baseball in high school. Um, where did, were you always interested in going to college, uh, playing pro talk me through that story and the, you know, the early years of, of your career. Yeah. Yeah. So at about, a, I guess probably eight, nine, 10 years old, like I want to play baseball. Like I want to, I want to play in the big leagues. I, I, I would get home from school every day and watch the Cubs because they didn't have lights yet to. I'd watch the Cubs and I'd watch the Braves at seven. Like, loved it, man. Just that's that's what I wanted to do. Um, and I assumed as I got older, I, you know, you learn more about minor leagues and college baseball, and everything. and I just assumed like the natural progression would be like, I graduate high school, I go play college for three years, I go, you know, play in the minor leagues for a couple years, and I go to the big leagues. And it didn't work out that way. But then I realized as I, I'm getting a little older and understanding the game more, especially the professional side, that I can get drafted straight out of high school. That that's pretty cool. Then I could just baseball is life. Like that's that's the yeah. jam, man. That's nothing wrong with that. Um, and so I, I get to be where I was, you know, you know, pretty good and had a chance to get drafted. And then as it's getting closer, I'm like, well, I've got a real chance. And then you know, there's scouts of the games and stuff. And um, so as the draft approaches, uh, so Baseball America ranks me as um, the so Baseball America is like kind of the leading publication for professional amateur baseball. It's, it's a great magazine. Um, but it ranks as a 36th best prospect going into the draft. Wow. So in theory, I'm like, a, and it says I could jump into the first round potentially. I'm like, wow, oh, this is cool. The so draft draft day comes and, uh, and I have already committed to play baseball at, at NC state, right? Which is literally like 15 minutes from my house. Um, so, and still in the ACC, really strong program. I'm like, man. Uh, and for anyone had, not had, familiar with not familiar with baseball, you could you could go to college but still get drafted, even if you didn't want to be drafted, right? That, that's something that just kind of happens. Correct, correct. So you could so you could be committed, you could be committed to a school, 
and then they still draft you. But a, a big part of the, the baseball draft especially is what they call signability. So how signable is Paul or Sean, right? Like, uh, so it happens a lot of times with kids at, like, Stanford where they're like, oh, it's just a really – it must be a really smart kid. Like, he probably wants to get his education, that sort of thing. Um, so, so signability is a big thing. And, you know, they ask you a lot of questions before the draft on the pro side, like, well, yeah, if we give you this much money, would you sign? And you're like, like I don't know, man. Like, give me, show me the money first, and we'll we'll let you know after. Um, <laughs> but there's, so there's different ways around it, right? And when you're going through it, for most people, it's their first time, and you have um, you might have an advisor in air quotes, you know, helping you along with that decision. But uh, so the draft rolls around, and um, there's no internet. You know, well, the internet's barely a thing at the time, so it's. It's basically you're just getting phone calls left and right during the day. So uh, a couple of teams called and said, hey, Paul, we're thinking about taking you here. I'm like, okay, nothing happened. And then eventually the Brewers said, hey, Paul, we're about to take you. So I ended up flipping all the way through the sixth round because of there were some rumors that some words got out that I wouldn't sign unless I got a million dollars. or more. And none of that was ever said, but you just never know what happens on draft day, right? The, the draft day movie with Kevin Costner is a perfect example of that. It's a lot of the, that stuff is really true, but um, huh. so I ended up drafting in the in the sixth round by the Brewers, um, and so there's still a chance I could go to NC State. So I, I go talk to Coach Tanner at the, the office. He, well, he called me into the office, and my mom and I went to saw him at his office, and um, so he's sitting there at his desk, and we're we're chatting. And he goes, "So Paul, what are you thinking?" I'm like, "Well, you know, I'm I'm not sure, Coach Tanner. You know, just not not quite sure." And he goes, "Well." So myself and Coach Toman, one of his assistants, he goes, we're going to be leaving NC State and heading to South Carolina. And I was like, what? He's like, we, he goes, we want you to come with us. We want you to be a Gamecock with us. But, and they're going to give us you know, a lot of things that NC State just isn't doing for us. He goes, we want you to come with us, be a, you know, kind of a cornerstone of how we start our program. And I'm like, maybe. I don't know anything about South Carolina. I, I like you guys. He says, but you'll have to sit out your freshman year because it's considered a transfer at this point. I was like, well, forget that, man. I don't, I'm not sitting out a whole year. That's stupid. And so that was honestly, that was really the catalyst of, of why I ultimately signed uh, with the, and the, you know, I was very happy to be a pro ball player and the Brewers gave me a good chunk of money. Right. So um, nothing yeah. wrong with that either. But, but that was coach Tanner had stayed at NC state. It might have gone differently, but and um, this is the the same Ray Tanner who at stayed at South Carolina for a very long time. Eventually won yeah, was one, it one one national, national title or two national titles, back back, yeah. and then and then um, became the athletic director of of he's South the AD Carolina. There, I, I don't know if he's still the AD, but he was the AD for you know several years. Um, but good, great. I mean, I love him to death. He's from you know from Johnston County right here. You know, local it, local boy, but. Um, yeah, so he he went on and, and did really great things down there. That's and, a tough um, sell to get you even thinking about going to South Carolina when you're like, okay, yeah. if I say no, I'm going to get a huge influx of cash from a pro team right now. Yeah. And you're what, as a, 18 as a 17 years old? 17. So go uh, and, and do the baseball thing for 10 seasons. Um, get My last year was 05 and um, – and I thought, like, it was, it was kind of – I could see the writing on the wall. Things 
just weren't progressing how I'd like them to be. I was I was 25, 20, I was 25, 26 years old, but ancient in baseball terms, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was like, well, you know, I got two kids, you know, I'll just I'll, I'll get a job. Everybody I know has got a job. It can't be that hard to get a job. Turns out it was really hard to get a job. <laughs> well, I, I guess not a job, but a career, right? Anybody can get a job, but to find a job, it was truly, a, could be a career. So, um, interviewed at a bunch of places and, and the, the feedback I got was like, Hey Paul, you know, we really like you, but if it's between you and Sean and Sean has a college degree, then I have to go with Sean. I'm like, well, like that. Okay. Whatever. Like, that's what you say. And so, um, as part of my original contract that I signed baseball is what they call the major league baseball scholarship plan. So they essentially gave me money to go back to school, but you have to use that within two years of your last game played. So, um, I re-enrolled, I, well, I enrolled in classes. I was at NC state for a little bit at wake tech. And then I ended up at Campbell university because Campbell had an online and a kind of a hybrid, um, school environment at the time. And they focused on working adults. They had a, a, a track kind of for military individuals as well. Um, so it was a really, really great fit. I, I owe a lot to Campbell for, you know, having that program. And um, so, you know, five years later, I had a third kid while in school, but you know, graduated in 2012. And um, But during that time, I uh, started working at a small sales company called Process Technical. So I was actually, I worked at Wachovia for a little bit and, did not like that at all. Thought that was just pretty stuffy, just too stuffy for my for my yeah. liking. And then uh, went back to school. Started working at an Outback Steakhouse, just running tables. And while I was there, um, just waited on the family. And the guy goes, "Hey, if you ever want a job in sales, give me a call." And he left like a twenty dollar tip. I was like, "Whoa, hey now, this guy." <laughs> and so, and so I went and had a you know sat down with him, and he really liked me and. Uh, and he gave me a chance, and I, and I owe a lot to his name was Kevin Bingley and Process Technical. So I owe a lot to him for um, giving me that chance, giving me that opportunity to to get into sales. And yeah, I yeah. did that while I continued in school. And then uh, once I graduated, um, had my degree, and it had been a few months. And my wife was like, "Well, Paul, like the whole reason you got your degree was because all these companies said you need a degree to work here. Like, are you going to do anything with that?" I was like. I like, cause I was pretty comfortable. I was happy at the other place. And I was like, I guess so I, I called my brother-in-law who was, uh, I guess he was a director at the time at Cisco. And I said, Hey, you guys got any, what's going on? I got any job openings? Like just totally oblivious. He's like, well, I think there's something on the virtual sales side. I was like, all right. So, um, he, he set up that I, I went in for an assessment center and interview on Monday. Um, but I called him on Monday did a quick talk with somebody on Monday. On Wednesday, I went into the assessment center. By Friday, they had offered me the job. I was like, wait, like, it's not supposed to happen like that. Like, it's supposed to be a long pro- – like, no, no, we're going to – like, so. Then, wow. So I had to, I, call, I called the other place, say, hey, I've got this opportunity. He's like, hey, we wish you the best. And then um, so a couple weeks later, started at Cisco and had been there for, you know, seven, seven years now. Wow. That's awesome. That you must have really crushed it because I've never heard someone get in uh, or get get feedback that they're getting hired that quickly. It's typically a terrible it process. It was pretty wild, man. Long. Yeah, it was it was pretty wild, but it was yeah, it was certainly a blessing. And um, it's Cisco has been an amazing company to work for. 
just I, I tell people all the time, you know, I've, I've had a chance to actually interview people, and I like, hey, give me the good, bad, and ugly. I'm like, look, man, like the good is I, I wake up every every day, and this is when we're still going into the office, but like, I've never had a day when I took a, I got to go into the office today. It was like, man, like I work with really good people. I work with really smart people. I have good manners. Like, yeah. they really take care of you. So every day, is, it's true. And even working from home, I still have those communications with people. It's, you know, guys like you, yeah, I've, I've made what I consider like true friends who are going to hopefully be the lifelong friends and yeah, um, yeah. just a really, really good place to work. And, um, that's what, that's what I tell people. I've, I've really enjoyed my time and, um, and Cisco, Cisco is just a, you know, a lot of people, a lot of people have probably heard the name, but don't know what Cisco actually does, but, uh, it's, it's yeah. a great place to work. And I think uh, it has a really great future, you know, moving forward. So, yeah. I, we we are so fortunate to work for a company like this with uh you know just good people all around and and um it's yeah. a I always tell people I'm like it's a for profit company for sure but we do a lot of really good things and it's not just words not just like the marketing yeah. teams like hey guys we got to pretend like we're doing good stuff because that's what's in that's what's hot yeah. right now you know they're actually yeah putting, you know, putting up money, time and energy and strategy and, and alliances with other organizations to make, you know, good change in the world, which I think is cool. Um, but, but yeah, two things you said I wanted to touch on, um, being a waiter or a server, uh, I think is oh, such yeah. good prep for going into sales. And there's so many people who think sales is like the worst thing in the world. And it's just like cold calling all day, which uh, B2B sales is, is not typically. Um, and, yeah. and, and the multitasking and customer service and um, just being on your toes, that is so helpful. I feel like waiters and especially bartenders are um, especially equipped to go into sales. Do yeah. you agree with that? So that's what, oh, absolutely. So I don't. So I, I could never, I don't drink at all. Like, so I, I couldn't bartend. Like, like I could, I could pour the beer out of the stout or whatever, it's, you know, called, but yeah. I, I could do mixed drinks. I, I could never be a bar. I'm sure I can learn it, but, uh, being a waiter was dude. So one, I had just so much fun, right? It was, it's kind of an energetic crowd. At least the one I worked with was pretty energetic. It's the only, the only time I ever did it, but, um, multitasking, running different tables, helping other people out, you know, carry food and drinks, all like there's so much going on, uh, just like the nights just flew by because you're constantly doing something. You're constantly yeah. on the toes. If you're not, you know, just turn around and somebody else needs some help doing something. So um, that was so. And then just you know, managing your you know quote unquote customers, right? Making sure your your people are happy. That's your you know, your customer service. You're you're the face of Outback or whatever organization that is that yeah. you're working for. So. Um, Again, it, it was a lot of fun, and I and I could have some fun. I remember a couple of times I, like I did like a, a really terrible British accent all all night, as if I was. <laughs> cause you're never gonna see those people again. They didn't know, but it, I was just being goofy. Um, you know, I'd pay like good that money to, to go have you wait at my table in, in a British accent, Paul. <laughs> I'll, yeah. do, I'll I'll beat the twenty dollar tip. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, buddy. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The other, the other thing you realize too, is that, uh, so you certainly appreciate, uh, waiters and waitresses, the service industry a whole lot more after you do that Yeah. because you see some of the tips, you see some of the tips that you're oh. left and you're like, Holy smokes. Like, 
They're like, you just, just, you left me $49 and 20 cents on a $50. Uh, yes. You're going to leave me that 80 cents. Okay. Thanks. But, um, so it works when people yeah. don't even pay the full bill because you have to tip out to your teammates a lot of times, you know? And yeah. It's like, yeah. So it's, no, uh, but it's, yeah, that's a whole different conversation, but it's, uh, but you certainly appreciate it appreciate the folks and them hustling and everything and because you know what's going on behind behind that wall where the kitchen is and um but yeah it was it was a lot of fun i had and it's it's pretty pretty low risk right i mean yeah though i mean what's the worst that's going to happen i guess you get fired but yeah um, they're typically most restaurants are running so short on staff that there's like hey just do better okay <laughs> so it was, but it was it was a lot of fun i, I enjoyed it and yeah, certainly gain a whole new appreciation for the, the whole service industry. Yep. It's like for whenever you're a customer after having been a, a waiter, you will always see that situation differently. Um, yeah, there's the, somebody rang the doorbell and there's, oh, it's somebody, it's the Kirby vacuum guy. We're, nice. Speaking of, speaking of sales, he's just going to have Champ bark at him for a little bit because he came by the other day and I was like, Sadie's greeting him at the door now. So, nice. nope, she ran away. We'll just, so we'll let him hang out there for a little. Bit. <laughs> I want to say it was uh, two years ago. We had brought in some interns to Cisco, and we were giving them some general onboarding and and helping them get geared up for. Um, Inter, you know what the interview process and what's life like at a big company and this is again college students who aren't familiar with that process i believe you shared a story from your own experience about interviewing that was hilarious i don't remember what it was do you recall what that may have been it was like uh one of your first interviews or something well i remember i remember interview like so when i first got out of baseball trying to get that job i remember um, and actually, Pat Watkins, who I mentioned from Garner earlier, he he set me up. He was working for uh, who was it? St. Lawrence Homes at the time, and I was going to be somebody who went and just did like punch lists through houses as they were wrapped up. And, um, and I remember doing the whole. So in baseball, like guys' salaries are literally printed in the USA Today, or at the time, right? You can go, you can type in how much does Mike Trout make, and it's right there. But the uh, and so I, I did the interview. I thought I did pretty well. And then, so Pat had mentioned that if I get this job, I would get a, like a truck to drive around in. I'm like, okay, cool. And so I, we get done with the interview and I'm like, hey, so tell me more about this truck. And, and how much does this job pay? Like, what's the, what's the pay of this? And apparently asking how much a job pays during an interview is a, is a major, like, no-no. Nobody had told me that or coached me on it. I'm like, and so we get, and so he's like, well, it's in this range. I'm like, well, just tell me, dude. Why can't you just tell me? And again, like I've never been in like the, <laughs> yeah. the corporate world. Right. And in baseball, like I said, like everything is, it's out there. Like guys talk about each other's salaries. They, you know, sure. bust, bust their butts on it. And, but in corporate America, that's you know, very taboo. I'm like, but I was asking kind of press because he's like, do you have any questions? I'm like, yeah, here's the question. How much does y'all pay? <laughs> yeah, that was one very important question related to why I want to work yeah. here. <laughs> yeah. I got kids to feed. Yeah, that's right. And so, uh, and so, yeah, I obviously didn't get the job and I talked to Pat later on. He's like, yeah, they, got, they, they liked you, but 
if you went a little hard on the, the pay thing that you shouldn't ask that kind of stuff. I'm like, Oh, all right, well, huh. whatever. Yeah. <laughs> so, maybe, so maybe if I hadn't asked, I'd still be working for St. Lawrence homes today, but yeah, whatever. <laughs> um, the thing that I've enjoyed most about, um, working with you is seeing the tremendous creativity you bring to a sales role. Can you, and I don't know, um, maybe you can give some insights to us on, on what it, where that creativity comes from and, and sort of your approach to connecting with other people. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, Cisco in the, in the role that I'm in, it's, uh, it's an account manager. I cover a territory, right? So I cover the state of Florida and I've done that for the past seven years. Uh, but my goal is to, to try to make a personal connection with, with as many um, folks within the accounts as I can. I have 1,500 accounts. So it's really tough. Um, but we, we also have the ability to scale through our partner landscape. Um, so, my, so my goal is to you know, share those personal connections, right, have a conversation, um, you know, get to know them on a personal level uh, before you start talking about speeds and feeds and all the, you know, the Cisco stuff. Um, so some of the things I, I think about, like, how would I want to be sold to? Like, do I want somebody to come in and just pitch, like, the guy just knocked on the door about the curvy vacuum? Like, I don't I don't need that, dude. Like, I, I get it, he's hustling, but, um, and, it's, and that's a tough job. But um, I, I, that's how I would want to be sold to, right? Get, hey, get to know me, get to know my environment, get to know my network, get to know my people. And then, and then let's talk. So I'm not going to pressure people to make a, you know, buy something immediately, you buy a point product, something like that. Like, hey, let's let's see if this is a fit, man. Let's see if this works. I mean, I, if you say no, then I'll, I'll probably disagree, but, you know, I'll respect your decision. Um, and then as far as the creativity, like I said, with, with 1,500 customers, you have to do some things that, you know, it might be a little out there, right? So we have uh, a tool that we use called OneMob where you can send video voicemail or video messages to people. Um, and I love, I love just putting together, a, like a try to be creative with that and send a message out that's, that might catch their attention, right? Like I'll have videos of, you know, with some of my old baseball highlights in it and maybe I'll catch a baseball fan or um, I'll send it with my kids. Like, Oh, your kids are cute. Let's talk about, you know, that sort of thing. Right. We got a, We got, you, well, you heard the dog barking a few minutes ago. We, we got a new, you know, he was a puppy a couple of years ago. So, I had a video of me holding the dog in my, in my hand. Like, yeah, people love dogs. Yeah. Maybe people will click on it. Yeah. It's clickbait, right? But yeah. maybe that'll get, that'll get them to, to look at the, the video that I just sent and listen to the message and, you know, in turn have a meeting, that sort of thing. So um, there's that. And then again, you know, it's just trying to figure out ways to scale and to reach each kind of unique customer. Um, trying to, trying to find ways to just, and then ultimately, you know, find ways to support them, right? Find ways to make their lives easier. And we have, like I so said, we have great people here at Cisco. So I think if we just connect with them and they really see the value that we could bring, then um, yeah. that, that should sell itself. But um, and the, the, the creativity, like I said, the videos are a lot of fun. I started doing a lot of the videos for my, my daughter's softball teams. And so I got, I got pretty good at iMovie. So I just... I turned that into, you know, a work thing and it's just, it's a lot of fun for me to do. And yeah. I'm kind of scripting out one right now as our fiscal year just rolled over to 
do a, a quick intro to my my peeps in Florida. So we'll, we'll have a new a new one mile video come out here shortly. Yeah, for and for anyone listening who um, you know most people haven't seen any of your your content and the the videos you create um, for audiences oh, both within Cisco and at the uh, customers. It's legendary within uh, Cisco's uh, <laughs> RTP sales offices. So, um, yeah, it, you've, I don't know, I just, you've got a, such a creative mind and you find ways to connect because really at the end of the day, it's how do you build a relationship with someone first? Once you have a relationship and you yeah. can talk about whether it's softball or um, the dog or whatever it is, then you can start talking about what kind of projects yeah. the company's working on and, and how you can help them as a you know consultative seller. But you anyway, you've yeah, always well, been amazing like, at that and you're not you're not one to toot your own horn, but uh, that's no, you, no, yeah. you're incredibly uh, creative and good at that. I appreciate it, Sean. Thank you. Well, what's, what's fun too for probably more fun for me is when people come to me and say, "Hey, I've got this idea for this video. Can you help me out?" I'm like, "Yes, absolutely. that sounds amazing. Sounds like so much fun." And then they come How with cool their is idea. it like, though? Okay, well, how cool is it, by the way, that we, someone could just come up to you and like you have the ability and the time and the willingness to just say, yeah, I can help you with that. And that's not uncommon yeah. at, at Cisco. Like, that's so cool. I, I've even done some. Yeah, I've done some during COVID. Even people I was like, hey, just I need you to record it. Send me the clips and then I'll piece it together. So I've done a few of those even you know, while we've been out. Um, so, so, again, that, yeah, that's just a lot of fun. And um, even like to, to your point about making that personal place like. I've got a bunch of uh, vintage speakers behind my behind my desk here. So when I'm on when I'm on video, you know, one of the other things too is like I always make sure I, my video is on, so people see me, they they connect with me. And as as I've done this more and more, I see that people they start turning on their video more because I'm on video. And so the other day we had a conversation. We were waiting for our, we were waiting for the really smart people, the engineers, to hop on the call. And so I had to kill like five minutes of just nonsense time, basically. And so somebody asked me about the speakers, so I started going into how I was in a rap group in middle school, um, into what was playing in there, you know, it was Bell Biv DeVoe, so I, you know, I turned the speakers on and turned them up. So just, you know, little things like that. But people remember, like, oh, yeah, Paul said he's that, he's that dumb dumb that played Bell Biv DeVoe, but it was fun. <laughs> I, I liked it. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So just little stuff like that. Yeah. It makes a difference. Put, put, yourself, put yourself out there, right? Yeah, I like that. I've always admired that about you. Okay, right, talk you. to me about some of your hobbies. Man, kid, I mean, you know how it is, man. Kids kids are the hobby right now, buddy. Um, so I've got four of them. They're, uh, Reagan is 16, Raleigh is 14, Joshua is 8, um, and Sadie is 2. So really, uh, it's... I guess coaching is the biggest hobby right now. I'm coaching Joshua's uh, little league team. Uh, the Do the Dodgers are having a rough go at it. We're we're in last right now, but we got we got one game to play, and uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll make do. But then uh, I'm helping with my daughter's uh, my 14 year old travel softball team. So that's that's a lot of fun. It's, uh, we have we have a really good group of kids and parents. Um, but I've coached you know the kids rec basketball and. Uh, baseball softball teams for you know, years now. So that's, that's, um, that's, that's really about it. There's not a whole lot of time for, for anything else other than that. It's, um, you know, and growing up hobbies were, you know, baseball, football, basketball, 
I enjoy music and enjoy podcasts. The pod, my pod, my podcast listening has gotten a, a little lower since I don't have the forty-five minute commute into the office and yeah. back right now. Now, really, the only time I have to do that is uh, like mowing the lawn or doing yard work, stuff like that. So, yeah, um, totally. But, uh, so, and then and then a little. I, I like I like doing the uh, some iMovies. We'll do like family vlogs every once in a while or. Um, I'll do highlight videos for the girls and their softball teams and things like that. But so I, I do enjoy the, the kind of video editing. And it's, I'm not like, I have like my iPhone and iMovie, so it's not super intense, but there's a lot of kind of workarounds where you can make it look, you know, better than this. I don't, at this, at this stage in life, I don't have uh, the time or capacity to, you know, dive into some super editing, you know, software. I, you know, I'd love to, but. I would have never known you made what you do on an iPhone because, dude, everything you've done always looks cool, and I see it. So, yeah, yeah. Hey, you've got a daughter who is a tremendous softball player, already generating interest from from colleges. I would imagine mm-hmm. likely has a um a quite a career ahead of her, and you're also someone who's very familiar with the landscape of being an athlete the psychology of, of being an athlete, the different coaches, uh, the coaching styles you were subjected to as a, um, as an athlete, what is your approach as a parent in kind of guiding her through the process, encouraging her, like helping her, um, you know, push through challenges, but not pushing too much. Like, how do you, what's your philosophy there? Because you, you know, the situation and what the landscape looks like. And you also know what it feels like to be in that role. And you love your daughter more than anybody else. So like, how do you, how do you approach that? Yeah. So it's changed a lot since I was recruited and coming through, right. There's more travel and organizations now and um, yeah, things like that. But uh, so one is, and all the kids, right? And still, work ethic, discipline, uh, what that really means, what it looks like, and and I think the older two are certainly starting to see that. Um, yeah, we, whenever we can, we're in the backyard pitching, or we're you know in the cages hitting, you know, working on ground balls, things like that. So, and still, those kind of attributes, like the, the work ethic, the discipline. Hey, if you're not doing it, somebody else is, right? Do you? And we'll ask them, like, hey, do you, do you want to be really great just want to be good right like we we can do either it's up to you like i'm i'm here for you but you tell me what you want to do and we can make that happen um and so we've had kind of phases of it where it's going up and down and uh but for the most part the the older one certainly she's like i want to i want to be really good dad i want to i want to be great i want to play d1 softball uh the four you know she's she was kind of at first like oh, i only want to play if claire's on my team and then like well okay well it's fine. But then, so she's, yeah, as she's gotten older, she's like, she seems like, oh, I'm actually pretty good. Like, I want to, so she's starting to really turn it on out and work hard. But it's, um, so that that's the one thing that I want to make sure they understand what that looks like. Uh, the other thing, too, as as somebody who's been there, like, dude, I, I know what it's like to, to be terrible. Like, my 2002 season, I started off 0-5 with, like, a 13 ERA. I was the worst, like the worst pitcher in the league, like legitimately. But it turned around, right? It turned around for me, and it, and so I can see. In 1999, I gave up six home runs in one game and tied a California league record by doing so. Doesn't happen to everybody, right? And so I can see them like, look. But the next start, I went out and I did fine. Like, 
And so that's the other thing. It's like, I know they're going to make physical errors. I know they're going to strike out. I know they're going to have bad games. But I also know they're going to have great games. And they're going to hit home runs, and they're going to be awesome too, right? So I, I don't want them to get their highs too high or their lows too low. I'm trying to say, look, hey, let's stay even, work hard. Certainly be excited, be happy for it. And then if you don't do good, be upset about it. But use that as, as a motivator to drive you to do better. And so those, those are those kind of things. And then as a, as a parent, like just patience, right? Let them know you'll love them. Like if they strike out three times a game or hit three home runs, I still love them. I love them the same, right? Yeah, we might go to a, a better dinner if we hit, she, she hits three home runs. But, yeah, but they're still, you know, they, she used to, you know, the oldest one still used to run around singing Taylor Swift songs and, you know, dressed up like Taylor Swift when she was six years old. Like, that's never going to change. You know, the, they used to, you know, all that kind of stuff, right? So yeah. it's, it's let them know they love them. And then again, sometimes, sometimes you have to let them stew for a little bit after the game, right? Like, just don't talk to them. Let them like just process it because you know how it is. If yeah, it's even a sale. Like if you lose a big sale, you don't want to talk to somebody for a little bit. Like I put my heart, I put my soul, I put I put effort in that, and, and I just lost. I didn't do what like yeah. Then you so you're sitting there. You're, you have to process. So I try to give them time to process, and I might try to ask them a couple of questions about like, hey, what was what were you thinking during that play or during that situation or what pitch did you see or what pitch did you throw? So, and try to talk to them about, and I'll be like, you should have done, like, I try never to be like, you should have done this unless it's something that's very obvious or, or I pointed out as like, Hey, here's probably the right way to do it. Or here's probably the way you should have handled it. Like, but I don't want to ever call and I'll be like, yeah, that was awful. You should have done this better. Right. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but again, it's, it's going back to being patient and just, and I think too, um, I probably have a little deeper understanding. You know, you play a baseball season, you play 150, 160 games, and and no game, no game is life or death, right? You got there's always another game tomorrow, right? So, um, it it baseball lends itself to being a little more patient, right? You've always heard like, hey, if you if you fail seven out of ten times, you're a success in baseball. Same thing in softball, right? It's, it's true, right? Where it, where football is yeah. a little more like immediate. It's it's urgent. Every play matters. You know, baseball, you you throw a ball, you're going to throw a strike the next pitch, right? Just it's it's more the process of learning. So the, those are some of the things we're trying to instill in, in the girls and, and Joshua over here. So hmm. That's that's my approach, at least. Hope, I hope it works. I like it. I think it's because, you know, most people aren't pro athletes and um, don't haven't been through the experience of um, – being a high level athlete and being coached and just navigating that, that track and uh, through your mind and you've been there. So I'm like, I want to know how you approach that with your kids, especially. So thank you for sharing that. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. So question I stole from Tim Ferriss, what purchase of a hundred dollars or less has most positively impacted your life in the last six months or year? So, so, it's probably, honestly, I bought this little six pack of back scratchers. <laughs> you know, I keep them right here by my desk because I've got a couple spots now that um, I'm much less flexible than I used to be. Can't get to them. So these little back scratchers, like eight bucks on Amazon, just amazing. <laughs> and it's, I, t I typically don't spend a whole lot of money on myself anyway because. 
yeah, with four kids. Yeah, you don't have any money to spend anyway, but there's, <laughs> yeah, they, any, any spare money you have, they, they, they get it. But it's, uh, I think that, that's probably it for me, the, the back scratchers. How has a failure or significant obstacle in your path set you up for later success? Uh, so I mentioned that, that 2002 season um, and that those numbers weren't far off. I legit was 0-5 with uh, um, 12, 13 years. It was like something. It was, I was awful. And But I remember sitting through those that situation, there, and there came a point in um, – you know, my wife and I were talking. I was like, man, "Like, man, is my career over? Like, am I am I done? Like, am I that bad?" And and like, you know, through a lot of prayer and thought, and um, you know, talks with my wife and family, like friends. Um, but the the one that really stuck out to me is there. Uh, one of the so I was at the field the day after one of the terrible starts, and I was sitting there. I got there early. I was just kind of sitting in the bullpen, waiting for the rest of the pitchers to come out. And, um, one of my teammates, a guy named Andy High, he's from actually from High Point. He uh, he was he was the first to come out. He he goes, hey, he goes, Stu, what's wrong with you, man? I'm like, what do you what do you mean? I was like, I'm terrible. He's like, no, what what's wrong with you? I was like, what are you talking about? He's like, he's like, do you want to win? I was like, yeah, of course. He's like, well, just go win. I was like, wait, what? <laughs> he's like, if you want to win the game, go win the game. And it and it it kind of just clicked. It was that simple, but it was it was a mindset change. I was too worried about mechanics and all this other stuff that I was like, I'm just gonna go out and try to win. I'm gonna will myself to it. So the next start, I went seven innings, gave up two runs, got a no decision, but pitched well. And then from the that point on, the rest of the season, I went twelve and three with a low two ZRA. So finished the season with a twelve and nine record, with a, like a three point two, yeah, like a good ERA. Yeah, yeah. But that that one that one like, hey, go be competitive, go try to win, go try. And so that that mindset is kind of you know taking me forward and like, so when I would go out to pitch, I'd be like, I like I'm gonna compete, I'm gonna win. And it's the same thing in sales, right? Like, I'm gonna compete, I want to win, I want to do my best for for whoever is out there with me. Um, and so, but it was, that was a, just a, an awful, awful month and a half of failure <laughs> that turned out to be something where that one little piece of advice propelled, propelled me forward in that season, a couple other seasons and yeah, then, and then career. Like, so it's, that was a big one for me. That's awesome. I think that's really applicable too, because whether it's, you know, in sales, I think of, um, maybe it's obsessing, well, I got to get this just right and do that and this and that. And it's like, you know, just, just go win just be yourself. Like just like kind of the natural you, you're ready. You've done the work. You're, you know, you've, yeah. um, you've built up your foundation yeah. to where just go and relax yeah. and be you, you know? Exactly. But that, that, that doesn't mean you can, you know, pass up the, the hard work and everything else that goes yes. into it, right? There's, you're still doing all the things on the back end. That, but when, when it times comes time for the game or the set, whatever it is, it's, Hey, just trust your ability. Trust what you've done. You're physically, mentally, everything ready to do it. You've just got to go do it rather than being worried about all the other stuff. So, um, yeah, yeah, continuing to do all the work, but then, like you said, applying it to the actual situation. So, 
Thanks. Fitting advice when someone is doing all the little things right. And yeah, good point. Yeah. Okay. Um, what is an unusual habit or an absurd thing that you love? There's probably too, there's probably too many of them. I've, I've got a, like a very strange sense of humor. I, I find, I find humor in a lot of different, just little things. Um, I, I mean, like, I love Anchorman and The Office, and but I'll pick just like little little quotes or things from those, and I'll just obsess over like those, and I'll say them to people. It just I think they're like, oh, everybody understands that reference, and I'll create such like awkward little moments to me that it just they're so funny. Like what um, would be one that you use from The Office? Say? Or or like The Office, like like Dink and Flicka, which is. Just a, a random scene where Daryl was teaching Michael how to speak, you know, hood, right? Quote, quote unquote, hood. And so he says, dink and flick it, which really doesn't mean anything. But I'll say it to people all the time. And I'm like, what is, like, I have a, I have a dink and flick a t-shirt. And people are like, what is, <laughs> what does that even mean? Yeah, those yeah. sort of things. Um, yeah, I bet it's fun, though, when someone recognizes it and they, they remember oh, and that. Oh, so does. Then it's on. Yeah, that's, then it's on forever. Yeah, that's, that's amazing. Um, that just, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a bit of an odd character anyway. Like I'm, I really don't care too much. And it's just, you know, you guys, when you get a little older, you're just like, I don't really care what people think or say at me. Like I'll, I'll say kind of all kinds of, you know, I think great dad jokes to the kids on the softball or baseball team and, and they'll just stare at me. And I'm like, <laughs> like guys, that was, that was funny. Yeah. You just don't get it. That was really funny. <laughs> Uh, I can totally fix yeah. that scene. <laughs> yeah, I, just, I put myself in awkward situations all all the time, and um, and and you start to learn when, like, when you say stuff like that, people, ninety nine percent of people are are genuinely like, oh yeah, okay, They're, they they appreciate you kind of putting yourself out there, and some of that too is like, um, it comes from like I, I lived in Venezuela for a couple months playing winter ball, and like I was down there by myself, right? You. Just, I didn't know any, I mean, I knew kind of some, you know, survival Spanish, but you start to pick up stuff and you just, so I would learn to say like, uh, I would have the guys teach me to say like a random phrase. And I don't know, like I would say like, yo, you tell Yolete de contactos en my ojos. So I would, I would go up to say that, so which means I wear contacts in my eyes. And people would be like, and so they just stare at me like, what? Like, yeah. And I point to my eyes and that would just like walk away and they'd be like, that's one strange gringo there. That's what's happening. So <laughs> again, just just being willing to put yourself out there, I think is is for me it's a lot of fun. For some people it's terrifying, but you know. Yeah. What are you gonna do? I don't know if that answered your question, but I'm That's good. That's a brave I'm, answer to go um to go deep yeah. into it. I'm just yeah. kind of a, I'm kind of a weirdo, basically what you're saying. <laughs> no, no. You're not you're not uh not embarrassed, which is uh, important. All right, what's, uh, let's say, in the last five years, what new belief, behavior, or habit has most improved your life? Uh, That's a tough one, Sean. I'd I'd, I'd like to say, like, exercising some, but I've put on, like, 30 pounds in the last five years. (laughs) That's that's not a good one. Let's, let's, can we skip over that one? Get back to another yeah, one? Let's go back to okay. it. All right. So you have 
kids all involved in sports or at least the, the older ones um how do yeah. you even handle travel teams i mean to me the idea of like packing everybody up in a minivan driving six hours doing like a three-day tournament and and driving back that sounds like a nightmare um how do you approach it in a way that's fun and sustainable and and what does it even look like maybe my perception isn't accurate but um just the idea of of multiple kids and multiple travel sports sounds so bad how do you handle that yeah well so one my my wife is absolutely amazing she's we have a sign that says I'm the chaos coordinator. She's the chaos coordinator. She she does all the hotel plans. She does the tra- so we have a big family calendar. We have an app for like I wake up in the morning and she, I'm like okay well here's Meredith's got it planned out. Here's where I need to be. She she's got it all. So she's the absolute best. Um, without her, it would be truly chaos, right? So so she takes care of all the the really hard spot parts and just left us kind of have the fun. Um, so that that's the big part, the organizational part of it, she does all that. So, so having, having somebody who's more disciplined on that side is a, just a godsend. She's amazing. Um, and then now, so our oldest just, she started driving a few weeks ago. That's opened up a whole new world for us, right? Driving stuff to practices, you know, and stuff like that. That's huge. Just so amazing. So that, that's been great. Um, but then, a lot of times they're playing on the same weekend. So it's, it's divide and conquer. Right. Um, and especially now that I'm coaching, coaching the team, I can't be like with the two year old. Like, so a lot of times Meredith has to, if we're divided, she'll have to take Joshua and Sadie with her or my parents do a great, great job too with us. Uh, and just keeping the kids, the smaller ones for weekends occasionally. Um, they're, they still live in the same house that we moved to, you know, 30 years ago, but they, they're amazing as well. Just like, Hey, we'll take the kids this weekend. So you guys can just, you know, not to worry about that. And they can sit back and relax and watch the game. So that's good. But occasionally it'll be, you know, the six of us, you know, we'll be in a hotel and uh, it's, it's fun. We're going to places like Kernersville, North Carolina or Myrtle beach or, you know, Greensboro. So we're typically not going too terribly far, but, uh, we, it's like a little mini vacation for us. Like the, the kids love to you know how it was as a kid staying in a hotel. It's fun. It's a different, it's adventure. You're bouncing on the beds, jumping all around, you know, it's a new TV, you know, that sort of stuff. Yeah. Uh, so the kids, the kids, the one, the one thing that they really hated though was, so I got a CPAP machine probably a couple of years ago. Uh, but prior to that, I just snored like a, hibernating bear and so they like would say, like dad's got to get his own room like we can't we can't do this like so that that was the worst part of it like, like uh, nobody can sleep because of milk god just thinking all kinds of awful noises throughout the night but um so that but thankfully you got the machine though those things save lives man and, yeah, and keep yeah. brain cells oh, alive yeah yeah so that's been that's been amazing too that's that's a shout out to zach right there but um so, so the the weekend turned out to, it, like we said, without qual- quantity time, there's not quality time. So, like this past weekend, we had one where, and the older two really loved like being there for each other, like they love encouraging each other, cheering each other on, videoing each other when they're hitting, and sharing that on Instagram, whatever it is, uh, posting on their story. So it's it's really cool to see how much they encourage and love each other. 
uh, he, Joshua, he typically just he complains about how hot it is, and <laughs> but but then but then he always he always finds like a, a group of boys to play with at the field, and he comes back looking like pig pen at the end of the day, just dirt everywhere and sweat, and, and then the two year old like she's she might be the cutest two year old of all time ever. She's like all the all the moms and the you know, girls want to you know touch you know not touch her but hold her and play with her and talk to her and so she's, yeah, yeah. she's great there too. But um, I just think that the more you the more you do it and the more you kind of dive in with it, the more um, they just get used to it. it becomes part of part of the mm-hmm. kind of family. Part. And, and it really is fun to see them, you know, just hanging out together and, and doing all that. Now you pack a cooler for the day and you have your sandwiches and drinks and all that stuff. It's, um, but again, it's, it's a lot of fun, but it, it really does start with, you know, just having Meredith coordinate everything and make sure we're all lined up and have the hotels ready and all that stuff. It's, it's, it's truly a, a team effort and, but it's it's similar like going to the beach for a day, right? You got to pack your canopy, pack your tent, pack your chairs, that yeah, you know. yeah. So, but but there's no beach; it's just softball. It's just yeah, yeah. Super super hot. I've I've, I've uh, we've got uh, my niece plays volleyball, and their whole thing's like a whole different experience because they're indoors all day, air conditioned. I'm like, my girls are tall, man. Maybe they should just play volleyball. That'd be <laughs> that could be wet yeah. all day. <laughs> Yeah. You mentioned, um, vacations. Do you have a, um, favorite family vacation you guys have taken with the kids on that turned out to be fun for the parents as well as the kids? Yeah. Oh, so we did, we did Disney, the whole Disney thing a couple of years ago. We did like five days down there. Uh, and that was, that was a blast, man, doing Epcot and MGM and, um, what's the, oh, the animal kingdom. That, that was a lot of fun. Just and for like Disney does everything so, so right and so well. That was that was a lot of fun. Um, my in-laws have a house in Bellhaven, North Carolina, which is kind of intercoastal waterway. So we go down there quite a bit as well. And that's that's just always good family time. And there's jet skis and boats and tubes and all that kind of stuff. So so we'll get out there and do that as well. But uh, the the Disney one definitely stand. And because I had to spend a lot of money on it too, so. Yeah. Definitely, definitely remember that. But it was uh, the um, that one in the river, and then we honestly we between all this the sports because the, the kids both older girls play you know volleyball, basketball in high school or in softball at high school and middle school. So like typically there's not a whole lot of time for any sort of like major vacation. But um, so maybe with virtual school now we'll be able to sneak away a little more. Yeah, I bet this fall that a lot of the sort of uh, off-grid, non-traditional vacation spots are going to be packed with people doing virtual school and getting out and about. That's going to be wild. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay, so we'll wrap this up. Uh, Not too much more. What would you say, um, as a dad, what are you learning lately? Or um, in what ways are you a better father than you were three to five years ago? Yeah, so as so Reagan is a, a rising junior, um, so like we're we're getting close to seeing like our first baby go out of the house. So it's um, just appreciating every moment we have with her. It's spending as much time as we can with her and, and the rest of the kids, right? But it's. It's like it's like a chapter is about to end, and like, oh God, am I ready for this? Like, what yeah. what's happening? Um, 
So it's it's really just enjoy and and like so COVID is it's it's been you know kind of tough up, but I've like I've really really appreciated being able to work from home for these past you know three months and seeing them every day, seeing them when they wake up, seeing them you know you make breakfast, make lunch, hang out at the, you know. So for me, it's been really great just to hang out with them. Like I've loved it so much. Um, but then I'd say the other thing I realized too now is. With Sadie being two years old, I'm 41. I remember, I remember playing Barbie Dollhouse with Reagan and Riley, and being on the floor and all around. Like I do now with Sadie, I'm like, oof, this is a little tougher to get up now. Like, <laughs> yeah, what are we doing here? So that, and that's the other thing. Like I, I realized I was like, I've got to start taking better care of my body because I, I want to be around to see their grandkids and things like that. Right. So. um yeah, eating a little better, yeah, and teaching those disciplines to the kids as well is, is one thing. And I'm starting to try to do a little more. Right, it's so easy to yeah swing by Chick Fil A or McDonald's though, and and make it happen. But you can even even within those places make make better choices than the the double quarter pounder, right? But yeah, um, yeah. So that's good. But just and then with with each one, um, they're all they're each each kid is very unique. So trying trying to connect with each of them in, in their own kind of special, unique way. Um, each of them has different things they like. And like I said, just trying to trying to put the phone away, you know, turn the laptop off, um, and make sure when I'm with them that I'm really engaged with them, right? And make sure they they understand that. And sometimes it goes over great. Sometimes it's like, go away, Dad. What are you? You're a weirdo. Like, okay, well that, that happens too. But um, <laughs> so, th- but that's it. Just you know. Love them, love them where they're at. Yeah, that's good. Um, all right. So speaking of coronavirus, what are you guys streaming this day, these days? Any? Do you have any good podcasts or shows that you've enjoyed that you want to recommend? <laughs> so we actually, uh, my wife and I are watching uh, The Last Dance right now. Like we missed it when it came out on ESPN, but it's on Netflix now. So um, growing up in the '90s, like that Michael Jordan Bulls you know, Rodman, Pippen, Kukoc, all those guys. That was like, I remember watching them on WGM, like all the time in middle school. And that was, that was just, that's, that's what we were currently watching. Um, was my wife likes watching the teeny bop shows with the kids. So they watched, what was it? One outer banks, which is relevant because, you know, it's here in North Carolina. Um, she's been watching Riverdale with them. Like, I, I really don't, I watch The Office like over and over. Parks and Rec, uh, Communities, Big for Thirty Rock, like all these kind of little quirkier kind of shows is, is what I dig. But I, I kind of stick with those. Yeah, I don't think there's any. Yeah, and then and then with Disney Plus now, we'll, I might just throw in The Empire Strikes Back every once in a while just to have it playing go. in the background. But it's good. It's, it, but it's also good to have baseball back and basketball soon, and to have those on as well. So. Uh, yeah. But nothing. Meh, I'm not. I'm not a huge like kind of TV. You know, kind of. I, I just. I don't want to. I don't want to engage in a new show. I don't want to learn the new characters. Like I don't. I can't be emotionally involved in these guys' lives that I don't know. But. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What is a good cause that you wish more people knew about? Ah, oh, jeez. Um... The, you know, the the Paul Stewart support his funds kid, I guess. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> That's right, man. 
<laughs> no, um, yeah, there's 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 a handful of organizations we've worked through um, at Cisco and through church, like the Raleigh Rescue Mission. Um, there's one we do a lot with church called With Love from Jesus here in South Raleigh, Garner. That's that's really great. Um, yeah, there's there's a handful. Of, you know, the the NC North Carolina Food Bank is one we do a lot with at at work as well. I mean, there there's so many great organizations out there that do a lot of really positive things. It's um, and like you said earlier, Cisco always encourages us to to give back and to to you know, work with those organizations. So. Um, those are a couple that we've worked with in the past, so like Raleigh, Raleigh Rescue Mission, um, with love from Jesus through, through our church, and then uh, uh, North Carolina Food Bank. All right, and now that we've got um, millions of people listening to this episode, a.k.a. Millions. Probably, probably, probably six, but while I've got you, in, you go. in, in front of people, um, how long until you start your podcast? Hey. I got, I got to get the content down. I mean, I, I've got a loose script. Um, but my like we like we were talking earlier. I'd, I'd like to do one to kind of chronicle my you know ten season career in baseball and um, you know talk to old players, old teammates, and friends. And and for me, the fun would be more just catching up with those guys and seeing where they're at now, what their family looks like, how they're doing, and uh, just having a lot of fun. So, um, man, I I would love to to be able to knock it out and and do it but um it, it might take some time i don't, I don't know I, maybe within the next couple of years we'll we'll try to get it done yeah that would based on uh taking a couple road trips with you and hearing a few stories uh that would be <laughs> hilarious and entertaining and uh just insightful into a, a very different world than what most people lived so i would love to yeah, listen to it yeah. so definitely keep me posted when you when you get that okay going. all right Hey, thanks for coming, man. This has been a blast. I've enjoyed talking with you. Absolutely. And, um, yeah, man. Thanks always, again. man. Always. Yeah, thanks, Sean.